This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for Episode 68 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Raytheon is one of the largest defense contractors in the world, with over 60,000 employees and annual revenues near $25 billion. They've been in business for nearly 100 years, with humble beginnings in vacuum tube manufacturing, radar systems and microwaves during World War II, and post-war expansions into everything from missiles and aircraft to refrigeration and robotics. Our guest today is Michael Daly, Chief Technology Officer for Cybersecurity at Raytheon. He shares his experiences spinning up a cybersecurity team at Raytheon, the challenges of doing so within such a large organization, and the importance of a strong corporate culture to ensure safety and security. Stay with us. I uh, started in the business in the mid-80s. Uh, working for a private security company that did uh, electronic security surveillance and monitoring, uh, and they did uh, the whole guns, guards, and dogs uh, piece as well. Uh, Eventually took over the monitoring center for that operation and got into doing software and uh, other kinds of security work that we now call cyber. And uh, after that, I went to work for the federal government and in the uh, FDIC, uh, that was during the banking crisis of the, I guess it was the late 90s, mm-hmm. mid to late 90s, uh, when we had the um, Resolution Trust Corporation spinning out and coming back with the savings and loan crisis. Mm. So uh, I did that for a number of years. And then I came to Raytheon in 1996. Around 98, uh, I had an opportunity to start up the first um, IT security practice at Raytheon uh, as we were merging together Hughes and Texas Instruments and uh, E-Systems and Allied Signal, and, and then, of course, Classic Raytheon that I belong to. And so I set up a security practice for uh, that merger of companies. And then 2011, I came to the intelligence business unit uh, to help put together our externally facing cyber business, uh, which we call uh, cybersecurity and special missions. So back when you were spinning up uh, that first organization within Raytheon to, to handle cyber, what was the situation then? What, what was the environment that you found yourself in? Yeah, it uh, was not a sophisticated landscape at the time. Uh, security at that time really meant things like antivirus. The task at that time was to start standing up an array of services to provide them as essentially as a shared service across the company. And then to establish the policies that all of the different parts of this new Raytheon would follow. So that included, um, uh, you know, acceptable use policies. What is encryption and what is authentication and what's required and not required and, you know, that kind of thing. And and then it evolved over time to include insider threat monitoring and um, standing up a 7x24 monitoring center and... Active Directory and LDAP and, and, and all of that other good stuff and consolidated Internet services uh, for the company on a, on a global scale. Yeah, and I, I guess, you know, one of the things about Raytheon certainly is the scale of the company. I mean, you have this you have this long time legacy uh, in the defense side, uh, you know, making missiles and, and things like that. I mean, how did that 
that legacy uh, within those organizations inform what you were doing on the cyber side? Yeah, we had very smart engineers all across the company who had done um, what we now call cybersecurity, IT security, uh, information assurance. There were a lot of different names moving around at the time. But uh, the very smart engineers who had done that in different pockets, either for uh, you know top secret enclaves or for collaboration environments in which maybe satellite data is streamed down and distributed to multiple parties. We actually picked up the BBN uh, group uh, mm. out of Cambridge, uh, who actually invented the first IP router. They put the at sign in email. They've done other things. So we had quite uh, an array of very, very smart people uh, to help us think it through. So, yeah, we had good resources. But what we didn't have as a company was a unified practice and policy uh, at the enterprise level, which was really required, in, in my view, to uh, get the company working together and ensure that we really did have coverage. Because not every place within Raytheon uh, understood IT security. So we were basically uh, an arm for sharing knowledge across the enterprise. And, and what was the, the process there? I mean, I can imagine, again, with the scale of a company the size of Raytheon, you're going to have a lot of different people who are doing things the way that they've always done it, and uh, your task of, of establishing standards within a company of that size, um, I, I imagine that that was no small task. No, that was very contentious at times. Uh, the way we accomplished it was by standing up uh, committees and councils, you know, councils above committees, and making sure that all the stakeholders were engaged. We did it by actually establishing services rather than trying to uh, just push policy. Hmm. I think a lot of folks will do it the other way around. But by doing it as a service offering where you can do it better, faster, cheaper than it could be done you know, in the business, you get that additional business lift. And so the leadership, get, you know, they get behind it and say, well, why am I going to pay for my own smaller Internet circuit that costs me much more and is less secure when I can just subscribe to the enterprise one and pay a lot less and get better service. And so uh, we were driven to always be better, faster, cheaper in order to drive adoption. Yeah, that's a really interesting insight. And uh, so you had support from from above, and then was it a matter of uh, of going around and, and making your case with organizations uh, around the world that, uh, hey, we're offering these services for you, and here's why you should uh, should join us? Yeah, that's exactly right. We had, had some groups that were eager to jump on board, that they, they saw that vision, and then other groups that, you know, resisted and, and needed to be convinced. And uh, so, you know, metrics became important. You know, um, showing, well, you know, the patching level of the rest of the company looks like this. The patching level in your organization looks like that. Uh, you know, the speed of the Internet, you know, for each individual user uh, in the rest of the company is, you know, so many bits per second. And, you know, you, your people are only getting this much and, and so on. You know, number of infections and all kinds of other metrics. And, and that uh, helped drive adoption because it became harder for the leaders of those organizations to get behind them being a one-off, standing on their own. So in terms of where we stand today, when it comes to the aerospace and defense industries, what is the view that you have? Specific to those industries, what's your description of, of how things stand when it comes to cybersecurity? Mm. The, uh, the large organization, the Primes, uh, we've all been working together really well since around the 2004 timeframe. 
uh, when China had stepped up its attacks and become much more covert. And so we, we saw that happening and decided we needed to collaborate to combat uh, uh, this more advanced threat. And uh, so, so the big crimes, I, I think, are doing well and have helped establish uh, standards and guidelines for the industry. Um, the small and medium enterprises that are in the defense sector are coming along and I think are being helped by the recent changes in the DFARS. And they're being helped by other efforts that, for instance, we stood up an organization some years ago, back to, actually around 2002, called Exostar, which was a business-to-business um, -business exchange. I mean, it is. It still exists. And so within Exostar, we actually set up uh, some cybersecurity uh, checklists and so on so that the small and medium enterprises can actually do a self-attestation as to how they're performing. And then they can be directed to go and get professional help if they think they're falling down in certain areas. By and large, the defense industry is doing well, but it's still very highly targeted, um, more so at the small and mediums than at the primes. When you say targeted, what exactly do you mean? Targeted by nation-state adversaries, targeted mm -hmm. by, I'll say, disgruntled organizations around the world that are mm -hmm. uh, upset at uh, defense companies. And so they want to cause harm or steal information or otherwise disrupt that supply chain to the U.S. military or other, you know, our allies and, and friends around the world, uh, because, you know, all of these businesses are global enterprises. And so they're targeted not just in the United States, but where we do business around the world. Now, is there a difference when, when you compare the type of things you do versus, say, the private sector? Um, what are some of the differences there? Is there a difference in velocity? Or are you able to, to get things done more, more or less quickly? Uh, how does it compare? You know, most people think of the defense sector as not being nimble, right? right. Because we're large uh, and we have more uh, requirements laid on us. Not not just in procurement, which is is a thing, you know, that uh, there are requirements for us to make sure that we partner more broadly than a private sector company that can partner with whoever they want. Uh, you know, we have to bring in small and disadvantaged uh, organizations. We might have to uh, bring in a, a company that uh, you know is working in uh, one part of the country versus another. So so we have those obligations. We also have security obligations that are above and beyond what most other businesses have to comply with although you know health has hipaa and you know the financial sector has you know graham leach Bliley, and, and so on so mm -hmm. everyone has their rules but the defense sectors are, are very rigid because we have been uh, attacked so regularly for the last uh, well you know nearly 20 years so so to, to that end yeah it, it's harder for us to be as nimble as an organization that uh, can just do anything that it wants. But that said, we have been working very hard to establish common infrastructure in our businesses. Mm. And, and we have uh, within our company, a group called Global Business Services, GBS, that helps provide that infrastructure to our entire company and to make it easy for the employees to just do the right thing, get their job done and meet all those requirements. So. To that end, I, I really don't feel like we're lagging industry, but more leading industry and being responsive. Yeah, that, I mean, that's an interesting insight. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that, that it kind of brings up is this notion of 
your responsibility of removing friction, that folks just have work to do every day, and uh, if you get in the way of them doing that work, that's where they start to come up with workarounds that might make everyone less safe. Yeah, no, that's dead on right. And, and in fact, that's part of our mantra of, you know, make it easy for the uh, users to do the right thing. Hmm. Um, and, and when I said earlier about, you know, we instead of trying to just push down standards and practices and, and all that and then, you know, punish people for doing the wrong thing, we were tasked with establishing services that simply do it the right way and do it better, faster, cheaper. Uh, so that's been part of our DNA, if you will, uh, and the Raytheon IT security function from its founding. Now, how do you break down the, the tasks that you need to do? With a company as large as Raytheon, you have you know, tens of thousands of employees worldwide, billions of dollars in revenue. You know, when you when you come into your office in the morning and, and have to prioritize the things that you're working on, where do you begin with, with, uh, with something of that scale? Well, my, my, my role now as a, as a chief technology officer is to help shape our customers uh, and help find solutions for them and make sure that when that procurement they're going to issue two years down the road, uh, you know, when that comes forward, that there are solutions in industry to meet those needs. Hmm. Um, So my priorities flow from first and foremost, trying to connect with customers to understand their needs, uh, to help them understand where technology is going in the art of the possible. Uh, so that's that's always my first priority. <laughs> and then uh, you mentioned, you know, this whole idea of uh, process and and how defense companies, uh, you know, have a lot of uh, check boxes to hit. So, you know, that that's a, that's a second priority uh, that I have to follow. Uh, we have a lot of what we call gate reviews. And so that that's that those things get fixed on the calendar, usually at certain uh, times of day regularly. And, uh, you know, we have to go through those gates to make sure that. Uh, the programs we're moving out on uh, follow those rules. Now, I want to touch on uh, threat intelligence, which is something that uh, is uh, a topic that we discuss here regularly. Um, what is your take on that? What what part does threat intelligence play in the work that you do and uh, the services you provide for your customers? Internally to Raytheon, uh, threat intelligence is critical because we are targeted, but the threats uh, are changing on a regular basis. And you can't put infinite resources at this problem. So you have to know uh, where to invest. And that's what threat intelligence helps us do. It tells us that, you know, threat adversaries are using these new techniques, that they are going after specific lines of business, that they have collection requirements, that uh, they may have gone after peer organizations, whether it's uh, part of our supply chain or maybe our legal community. They often target legal organizations and so on. So that, that helps on the internal part of Raytheon. For our customers, Raytheon is a provider of managed security services and uh, other types of engineering services. Mm. So again, we use threat intelligence there uh, to support our customers that, that are subscribers of our managed security service. And we even use it in our engineering so that we can stay ahead of the threats and understand what types of services to build, what types of products to build to help meet those challenges. For those of us who are on the outside, you know, those civilians, more on the civilian side of things, uh, from from the point of view of, of a major defense contractor like Raytheon, what are some of the things that you wish we all knew about cybersecurity, about about the work that you're doing? Are, are there any common uh, misperceptions uh, when it comes to companies like yours? Yeah, I think that the, the 
bigger misconception is that cyber really just affects PCs and phones. Hmm. Cyber is broader than that. And that's why people change the term, you know, from IT security to other things. Cyber is about all of the electronic devices that are floating around uh, in our homes, of course, but but in our critical infrastructure. Uh, So that's, you know, water and power and other environments like that. It's medical care. And then when that comes to things like your defense and intelligence organizations for your nation, well, those organizations have all of those types of components themselves. They have military devices that have all of those types of electronics embedded in them. And they're dependent on a supply chain that has all of those types of electronics. So so cyber is a much broader landscape than I think the average person gets exposed to. And uh, it's hard to comprehend, even for professionals, all of the interconnections between those, which are threat vectors. Yeah, I, I find the whole thing fascinating. I mean, when you think about something, uh, the product development cycle on some of these things, you know, uh, something like, you know, a Tomahawk missile or something like that, you know, the things that you all manufacture and are responsible for, uh, from the planning to the design to the the funding to putting it out in the field and then how many years that uh, device will be in active use, that is a long timeline when it comes to the electronics within it, the brains within it, and that's something that you all have to you have to have a handle on. Right, and and even from before it was manufactured, in a sense, uh, because of the components that we're going to buy, you know, whether they're integrated circuits or or cabling or other things that go into it, right? So we have to understand the providence of those and make sure that they are properly secured, and then those get integrated. But there's there are manufacturing machines that are part of that chain and those we need to make sure were are, are secured and hardened and and not uh, going to go out of tolerance because somebody wanted them to go out of tolerance hmm. and 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 so on so uh yeah and then when it gets fielded there's a wide range of support services that need to be provided and uh those can become uh, threat vectors you know if you need to update a system with new software you know the classic case of that usb stick being inserted into a, a management port uh, we have to make sure that that management port is screening out unintended effects. Yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about. I mean, you know, obviously we talk about uh, IoT things, you know, the, the Internet of Things, but, uh, you know, you all have been in the business of, of uh, making and deploying things around the world for for decades, um, but the things that you have are, uh, but perhaps have different consequences than, you know, me with my security camera keeping an eye on my backyard. Yeah, we uh, worry about uh, air traffic management and, uh, you know, nuclear safety and uh, kinetic weapons and uh, so on. So, yeah, the, the, the bar is pretty high for us and uh, we, we take it extremely seriously. It's a, it's a part of the every day of, uh, of a Raytheon employee. You can't walk down the hall without you know, walking past. Uh, many different posters. You can't walk into the cafeteria without a, a brown bag lunch going on that talks about uh, mission assurance and doing the right thing. You know, a- everyone goes through hours and hours of training every year online in classrooms, uh, beating that <laughs> into everybody to ch- you know, make sure our culture is unified, especially as we rotate new employees in who maybe worked in a different type of environment. And maybe they were used to using different kinds of collaboration tools with external parties 
And and so they're like, oh, well, I could go get the answer from over there. Well, well, before you go and talk to somebody on the outside about this, you know, we don't want to start uh, passing information in inappropriately. Uh, so we have to educate everybody that maybe their style of business uh, has to change a little when they come to our company. Our thanks to Michael Daly from Raytheon for joining us. If you enjoy this podcast, we hope you'll take the time to rate it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help people find the show. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett, the show is produced by Pratt Street Media, with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.